Uh, please pray with me. God, we are just so grateful for this opportunity to uh, gather in a place that we believe that has been made holy by your presence and the assembly of all your saints. God, I know the Bible teaches that when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. So throughout our worship, and in particular this message right now, God, I pray that Jesus would be lifted up, that he would get all of our attention. I pray, God, for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does and to quicken all of us, help us to be people that are not timid, but full of just love and self-control and power. And I pray, God, that you would be with me as I share the gospel here this morning. pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning. It is uh, so great to be here with all you brothers and sisters here at North River. Um, a lot of you, you and I share the same history. Many of us go back almost two or three decades. I enjoyed preaching to the group in the lighthouse this morning. It was actually more people there than I anticipated, uh, but a very encouraging opportunity to, to be with disciples. Uh, I need to apologize to you too. North River asked me to get in the Spider-Man suit and come out and do the flip. <laughs> But I didn't stretch this morning, so uh, <laughs> the next time I'll come, it'll be as the Black Panther, though. Yeah. Oh, y'all so good. Yeah, hey, let me, uh, just a qualifier here. The sermon I'm preaching today, I'm not preaching this sermon because I now work at Hope Worldwide. I now work at Hope Worldwide because of this sermon a sermon that I believe and I preach for at least the last 15 years, and I want to share that with you uh, here today. Let me first just start off with a story. I'm a storyteller, and uh, I was asked to talk about the mission. And this picture I have here is uh, me and General Colin Powell on May 31st, 1990. He was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which meant he was the highest-ranking military authority in the United States. And I remember on that day, uh, we have about 1,100 graduates. I was fortunate enough to be included in distinguished graduates, and so he was there to commission the first 50 cadets, and I was one of those. And I walked across the stage as high as authority. I was nervous and excited all at the same time. I stood there, and I saluted Colin Powell. He saluted back, put my hand down, got my diploma, walked off stage. And on this particular day, I have this picture in my office at home, in my office, office at work. And the reason why I look at it, when I see that dude right there, when I see me, I am amazed at the transformation that took place from when I got to West Point. See, I arrived there on July 1st, 1986, and what the academy was able to do with me blows me. This dude right here, this was wartime. And this guy right here, was willing to lay down his life for our country. This guy right here, I loved America right here. I signed up for infantry. I signed up for combat. I wanted to die for my fellow soldiers. I wanted to die for the country. We were at war at that time, and I was ready to go. But on July 1st, 1986, when I got there, I didn't really care about America. I was apathetic about the United States. I didn't pay attention to U.S. history. I didn't watch the news. It's not like today where we get to see all the things going on in the world. We didn't get to see those things. I lived in Roanoke, Virginia. I only watched the local news if I was 
football Friday night highlights. That was it. I didn't care about the country. I would have never died for our country. None of that would have happened. So when I look at this dude, I'm always amazed at what West Point was, to, was going to do in my life. And see, West Point has a process for taking young men and women and bringing them into the institution and changing them so that most of us who graduated this day were just like me, willing to go out and sacrifice our life for our country because we were co-missioned and on this day, I remember my oath that I took to defend the United States against foreign and domestic threats. I remember being eager to battle if there was. And I look at this picture, I go, that, how did that happen? What did the academy do? But it was a process. And today I want to show you a process that we see in the Gospels. When I think about this commission, I can't help but think about the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, Mark chapter 16, where Jesus calls all the disciples there. They doubted. They wasn't all perfect, but they came there. He gave them, I'm going to give you this mission to go in all the world, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, and then continue to teach them everything I've told you, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. That great commission, I remember when I got baptized, and I stood there, and I said, Jesus is Lord. December 1st, 1993, over in West Cobb in the jacuzzi, freezing cold, I stood up, and I said, Jesus is Lord. And it reminds me of that same day, and I said, the United States is my country. And my fellow soldiers are my brothers and sisters. It didn't matter what color they were their culture, their ethnicity, where they came from, poor, rich. We were all willing to die for one another and to be in this battle all together. And so I look at this picture, and it constantly inspires me of the transformation that took place. On July 1st, 1986, when I showed up, I hadn't even voted yet. I would vote that fall, but I had never cast a vote, and I just didn't care. I came to West Point because it was the promise of giving me a Division I opportunity to play football competitively and not to be red shirt and to play immediately, and I did. Everybody goes there is on a full scholarship, and cadets not only on full scholarship, we all get paid on a monthly basis. So not only was I in school for free, I was getting paid on a monthly basis to be there, and then I didn't have to worry about clothes because we wore uniforms all the time. <laughs> And all the food was great. It was a win-win. So when I showed up on July 1st, and everybody is yelling and screaming and hazing and all this other stuff, I'm thinking, what did I do? But they changed me to a new man that was willing to die for his country and support his brother and sister. Hopefully, you are following the analogy that I'm trying to make here this morning. I want to show you a process, and we're going to get to Matthew chapter 25 in a moment something that I started looking at in the Bible 15 years ago. I started with a great commission that I just read to you, and I reverse engineered all the way back to Matthew chapter 4. We got the great commission, even though the biblical text does not say anything about a great commission, but we know that it is a commission with God. We are in partnership with God as we advance the kingdom in the world, right? And so we do that, but if we go all the way back to Matthew chapter 4, I call that the great calling where Jesus first called the disciples to come 
and to follow him. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We all, all know what that means. And it says, immediately they dropped everything and followed him. And what we have to understand, I want you to understand today, that when they dropped everything and followed him, when Jesus started walking, they walked with him. And so when he went to a town and a village and a home and with the clergy and with the poor, they were with him. They saw it all. They heard it. All the teachings, his emphasis, who he advocated for, who he preached against. They saw it and they witnessed all of that. And then we get to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I call that the great curriculum. A curriculum is just a course of study. In the military, when you first go in the military, they call it basic training or boot camp. And that's when you come in, you learn all the fundamental principles that help you be committed and loyal to the U.S. military or the United States. And Jesus does this with the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. You could do a sermon series for an entire year on the Sermon on the Mount. I can't take a deep dive here, but Jesus talks about adultery, remarriage, justice, righteousness, hypocrisy, Wisdom, building a house, false prophets, really unrighteousness. He talks about all those things. He calls them great calling, great curriculum. Then you move to Matthew chapter 22, the greatest commandment. We might know all the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, but the traditional Jews, there's 613. One of them comes up to Jesus and wants to challenge him because your righteousness was connected to your obedience to the law. And so there's 613 commandments. And so if you didn't obey them, you're considered unrighteous. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to remember 613 commandments. (laughs) And so they go to Jesus and say, we're going to get him because we're going to ask him, which of the 613 are the greatest That way we can rank our righteousness. And Jesus comes back just like Jesus. Really quick, he says there's two commandments. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor, he qualifies, as yourself. And check this out. Of those 613 commandments, he says they all hang on these two. They all hang on these two. And the Jews, they call it the Shema. They would get up every day, Deuteronomy chapter 6, love God, heart, mind, soul, and strength. They repeat it every morning and at every night. And imagine what happens when you do that. In the military, every day starts with reveille. You hear a bugle call. You stand at attention no matter where you are. You face the flag and you salute it every morning. And they play the colors. Then you take it down when the flag is up. Then at the end of the day, it's retreat. Another bugle call. You find out where the flag is. You stand up. You salute it. They play the national anthem. When they're done, you go down. Now I want you to imagine. When I was at West Point from July 1st, 1986 to May 31st, 1990, that was exactly 1,430 days. I count it. I didn't arrive on July 1st and and graduate on the the month later or 90 days later. It was not that. They have a program and a process that took 1,430 days. 
to get them where they wanted me to be. I want you to imagine if we were in our faith to know and love God if every day we got up and had to physically embody our commitment to, to God. What if we got up every day and we had to turn toward God somewhere and render our heart salute to God? Then at the end of the day, to do the very same thing and to do that for 1,430 days, by the end of that, you find yourself in love with God. West Point knew exactly what it was doing. They said, we're going to get you up every day. You're going to pay allegiance to this flag and what it means and doing it every single day for an extended period of time. You are going to fall in love with it. And I did. And then we get to Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and goats. And this is where I want to be here this morning. You know it well. I'm not going to read it. But he says, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I needed clothes, when I was sick, when I was a stranger, and when I was in prison, you did this for me. And they go, excuse me, <clears throat> when did we do this for you? And Jesus says, when you did this for the least of my brothers, when you did it for the least of these, you were really doing it for me. You were engaging me. Then another group of people says, when did we not do it? And then Jesus goes on at the very bottom. We come to this judgment and punishment. Separation of sheep and goats because they didn't get it. I get the chance. This is not a North River sermon. Uh, this is a sermon that I preach anywhere I go if I have the opportunity. Once again, I told you, I didn't do this sermon because I now work for hope. I now work for Hope because I had did this sermon 15 years ago, but I got to tell you how I got there. How did I get to Matthew 25, which I think in that trajectory I just showed you is either the missing link or the weak link for us. Now, what I didn't tell you when I started preaching today is that I'm not here every week, and what I would normally do if I was preaching at Bridgepoint Church is I like to preach sermons that nudge. You know what a nudge is, right? And then you just, you just, you know, kind of put your, you just kind of guide somebody in the direction, you know, you just move a sermon series. I would just preach, and every week I'm trying to nudge you. But since I'm not here next week, <laughs> and, and the week after, I, I'm not going to nudge you. I'm going to straight up shove you. <laughs> you see, I'm going to shove you into what I'm trying, I'm, I, you know, and I'm telling you up front so that if you get offended, you might be less offended because I told you up front what I was doing, <laughs> right? So you could, you could push back, you, you can call me, call me later, whatever, but I, I want to push you into a direction where I think the Holy Spirit has been moving in my life, and as I get the opportunity to go around to so many different churches, I want to just push us just a little bit to see some things and really be convicted by it because they're really, really serious things. About 15 years ago, a brother in the church named Gary Burke, good friend of mine, he's no longer with our church. He does pastor a church in a neighborhood that you would call the hood in downtown Atlanta. Gary just finished his Master's in Divinity a few years ago and he just finished his doctorate, the same degrees I have, at the same school 
two months ago. So now he is Dr. Burke. But when he first became a Christian, Gary, prior to that, had been a drug dealer, big-time drug dealer. And he had stopped selling drugs, moved to Atlanta, and had repented, became a disciple. But his, his background and history caught up with him, and he went to prison. And in prison, I would visit him. He eventually got out of prison and became the co-director of Atlanta's Hope Chapter. And he wanted to give back to the communities in which, in many ways, he had poisoned. So that's Gary. So Gary called me one day. We're great friends today. And then he says, look, can we grab coffee? And so we go have coffee, and we're just sitting there talking like we would normally do. And Gary is sitting there before me, and he's saying, you know what? You're such a great leader. I love you. I appreciate your friendship. Man, just the way you do this. People, and so you know that when someone's doing that, you go, I know I'm here. <laughs> I, I didn't I been in many of these. I know what's going on here. He's waiting to share something with me, right? So he's going through and all of this. And, and the whole time I'm, in my, I'm praying while he's talking, I can barely hear him because my internal voice is going, don't be defensive. Don't be defensive. Don't be defensive. Don't be defensive. And then he gets it in. He says, look, and the church loves you, man. You've been in Atlanta all these years. They follow you. They didn't been downtown with you on the south side, the west side, the east side, on the north side, back down to the south side. You didn't met in colleges, universities, high school, middle schools, movie theaters, conference centers, convention halls. <laughs> he says, and the church then followed you everywhere you've gone because they love you and they trust you. I got a question for you. I said, oh, here it is. <laughs> Buttering me up. And I was like, don't be defensive, don't be defensive. He goes, Ben, let me ask you a question. You don't think you're Jesus, do you? And then he paused, which only added gravity to this moment. And I'm thinking inside, how do I answer that? I know I ain't Jesus. So I started in my mind rehearsing my response. You know how you have a reply? I was like, no, no, that's too hard. <laughs> no, I don't. That's, that's weak. <laughs> Are you following me? I'm just like, no, no, no. And then before I could answer it, he followed it up. He says, because if you do, you make the most horrible Savior. By this time, my prayers for defensive is almost like God said, I ain't going to work today. I'm just, just like, this, this is, it's not the day. And then I said, man, I backed up from the table, pushed the coffee away. I said, oh, what you talking about? And all, ain't nobody trying to be like Jesus. And no, I ain't trying to be no, why are you trying to be no, he said, look, calm, calm down. And you got to know Gary. He's like, chill, man, chill. Just having a conversation with you. He says, you make a horrible savior, and so do I, so do everybody else. And to make a long story short, we talked for a while, and we got down to the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Another version, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, Ben, people following you. Where are you taking them? He says, do me a favor. Go back and read the Gospels. And I want you to pay attention to 
the people that Jesus hung out with. I want you to pay attention to the people that he spent time advocating for. What was his attitude toward the poor? What did he say to the rich? In the parable of the the Samaritan woman, what what did he do with her? Rather than being like everybody else who avoided that part of town, Jesus says, I got to go through it. He says, Ben, you in the suburbs, you preaching, and basically the people only following you to Sunday and Wednesday. You need to go where Jesus went. And you need a leader. You, you call them to follow you as you follow Christ. And he goes, you following Christ? You following church? Now I'm pushing. Start off with a little nudge. Now I'm pushing because he pushed me. He goes, I don't see you with no prisoners. I don't see you with the poor. I don't see you with those who don't have stuff. I don't see you with no strangers who want to be invited in. And I was convicted. So I started looking at this trajectory and realized that this was either a weak or missing link in my life. And I will just say this, just like West Point has a process to get you there, Jesus has a process to get you. And I want you to think about what we do for people when we do the great call and come and follow and we immediately send them out. The disciples were with Jesus for three and a half years, 1,280 days before he sent them out. Because what happens when you call somebody and you send them out and they don't love God and they don't love neighbor? Then it becomes humanistic. It becomes the church. It'd be us conquering and us being successful as an organization and not the body of Christ. What happens when you send people out? They don't know Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the basic principles and the fundamental teachings of Jesus. Because that's what we need right now. Just yesterday on Facebook, I'm totally all point now. I'm, I'm trying to stick to time. But yesterday on Facebook, I saw disciples going back and forth, arguing. And I said, all you got to do is read the great curriculum. And it says, what is it if you love those who love you? You need to love your enemies and pray for them, not cancel them, not be distant. We are not even responding to the boot camp of Jesus. And it is dangerous to send somebody out to make a disciple. Jesus had a process. He sent them out at the end of the ministry when he had trained them and got them ready. And our Christianity can be boiled down to love, loving God and loving neighbor. And once we figure that out, we have got Christianity all wrapped up, but we don't. Because there's people right now that we hate and don't like, and we stay away from them. And Jesus, what did he do? Jesus go, I got to go to this person. I got to go. I can't avoid this part of town. I'm going right through this. 
he converts the Samaritan woman. And so I had to repent, and this is what I did. And I'm not trying to say this is bragging, because this is down the road. This was hard. I was still in seminary at the time, and I would eventually graduate, but I changed my whole study of focus to urban ministry, and I started doing prison ministry. And I went to training with Cairo's prison ministry. And I started going into prison, and I found Jesus. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Now, if Jesus was at Starbucks, wouldn't we go? <laughs> but Jesus said, I'm in prison. And not only did I go, back when we were downtown, I took all the middle school boys and all our teenage boys, 25 of them, including my son, and I said, we're going to go into the prison. I'm taking you guys into the prison. And we went to Hayes State Prison, the high max of Georgia. And they went in and talked to inmates who had been teenagers and talked to them about the mistakes they made. To this day, going in that prison is one of the most transformative days for my son. I was able as a leader to say, hey, come follow me because I'm following Christ. Let's go to the prison. And then I took people in church. I said, look, I'm going to volunteer with the Atlanta Union Mission and uh, Focus Community Strategies in downtown Atlanta. They do homelessness and stuff like that. I'm, I'm going down there to serve brothers and sisters in church. Hey, can we get together with coffee? We sure can. Let's go. And then we would go and we would end up there. I came to church one Sunday and preached, and church was about empty. And I looked around. I said, where is everybody? He said, well, all the men in the prison. And a whole other group, they're at Cafe 458 serving food. And I was like, they're not here to worship. But they were offering their bodies as a living sacrifice and serving in the community, which is, which is church, ain't it? Church is not this. It's what we're doing with. And then I went to the VA Medical Center, and I volunteered as a chaplain. And I entered this program called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education, 10 hours a week. This is while I was still in school, family with kids under 12. I, I then volunteered 10 hours a week that covered the week. I had on-call duties the weekend. I was a chaplain. And it's one thing to visit the sick when you know them. As a church leader, I visit the sick in my church. It's a whole nother thing to go visit people in the hospital that ain't going to be a member of your church and finding Jesus there in the psychiatric intensive care unit, in the traumatic brain injury ward, in the ICU, talking to people who just been told you got six days to live or somebody else, they're going to take half your brain or another person, you got to have your legs amputated or another person that has suicidal ideations that jumped out of a car on I-20 because they're better dead with the insurance. Uh, for their family. I'm just saying, I found Jesus in all these places. But what I was able to do, even more important, I was able to get in front of the church and to say, hey, this weekend, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. Come and follow me and imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
Let me close out by just saying this. I'm going to give you a, a reflective question to consider as we take communion today. As a disciple, and I'm really pushing, shoving here, because I could say a whole lot more, but I'm, I'm really pushing and shoving for us to understand that Matthew 25 comes before Matthew 28. And I just have to believe that Jesus had a process that he was just not going to send people out until he was ready to on his timetable. And they needed that great compassion, and I think we do as well. You know, when Jesus had him on the mountain and he gave him the, the great commission, what encouraged me is the very first part of that verse when he assembled them there. It says they were there on top of that mountain, some doubted. That's encouraging to me. Because what it is, it's not about being a perfect person, but it's being part of a perfect process that we see going throughout the, all the Gospels of Jesus. Now, here's the question. As a disciple, how confident are you that you can tell someone, follow me? Because my life can lead you to Christ. Because the truth is, we get most people to follow us to Sunday service or midweek. And I think God is calling us for us to say, come with me. Where are you going? The Atlanta Food Bank. FCS, Habitat for Humanity, Hope Worldwide. Come follow me as we go engage the people that God has called us to be. Let's be confident that we can call people to do that for Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your example in Jesus. Thank you for the clarity of the Gospels. Quicken our spirit to not only understand them, help us to easily see things that may not necessarily be obvious anymore. God, help us to, to watch how Jesus did things and to, to walk in his steps. And to be confident to call others to, if you, to follow us as we follow Jesus. Imitate us as we imitate Jesus. And God, as we're about to take communion today, the bread and the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, help us to also remember that is another example of being a sacrificial lamb for people. As we take these elements here today, help us to remember you being that selfless servant, washing feet, challenging hypocritical clergy, advocating for the poor, for the marginalized, for women, 
Help us to see all of those things as we take communion here today. And help us also just be deeply appreciative how we get to do this all together. And that the communion is this bigger than what's taking place here. That there are people all over the world right now that are sharing these, this sacrament that we are called to do on a weekly basis. Help us to also realize that we are a part of something bigger than just this space here. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for this day and this opportunity. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.